You have now entered the Penny Bloom Podcast. Hosted by none other than Colton Robinson and Tavares Pennington. I hope you are prepared for a show unlike any that you've ever seen before. Or heard, I guess it's a podcast. So you aren't going to see anything. Hey, 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 welcome. Hola. It is I, Coro Bloom, alongside my partner in crime, Tap Pen. Say what's up. Bottom line is, right. we hope you bless, alright? We do. If you ain't, we blessing you now. We're blessing you now, alright? With our voices. With our voices. I know you're blessed. Like, you've already been you, blessed. If you like, listen listening to us, you are blessed, alright? Like we do shit ago. right here, okay? Don't you see I don't know if you heard. Look at this shit, bro. Like, don't you see this? Like, Don't you hear this? Everything. Everything. There's a whole wall behind the camera and I don't even see nothing. They don't see nothing. Maybe we need to just like invite everybody over. Yeah, live studio audience. Everybody come over, one, two, three, four. Nope. Front street. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. yep. Yep. All right, so we're going to get started on a, uh, on a, on a slightly sad note. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to uh, offer our prayers to uh, Kit Harrington who yesterday was reportedly checked into a rehab facility for alcohol and stress. And, you know, portraying a character rooted in a stressed and brooding way yeah. for 10 years can't can't be easy on you, you know? It can't be. It can't be because he has to, he has to try to He has to get in that mindset. That pain, yeah, he has know, to try to John, mimic the pain. John that Snow has to feel, which all too often spills over into the actor's actual life. It's just... The unfortunate reality of it, you know. Yeah, it's it's quite sad. So uh, yeah, we we just wanted to say prayers out to Kit Harrington, the true king of the north, the, tr- the, the king of the true north, the king of the the king of the true fucking seven kingdoms. What do you mean? You are absolutely right. Well, we'll wrap that segment up real quick. That's it. We just wanted to say, just wanted to say we're Finishing we're praying for him. We're praying for him. You know. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll get started, you know, with. A story that I think is pretty, pretty up and down. This right? is a, this is a crazy story. It's a good story. We're gonna start with a segment that we want to do pretty regularly called "Celebrity Story You've Never Heard Before." This is about one Keanu Reeves, aka the one, the one, the one Matrix. <laughs> if you are a you're unfamiliar with Keanu Reeves, as he said, the one from The Matrix. He was also in uh, Bill and Ted. He was also he's also currently the star of the John Wick franchise, yeah. which just got confirmed for another film. Uh, but all too often now we hear these stories about these people in Hollywood who are just shitty, shitty human beings. You yeah. know. Yeah, we do. So I wanted to start with someone who is a true light. He seems to be a genuinely good person by all accounts. Mm-hmm. The crew, the crew of every set he's been on has always been very appreciative and very have had a lot of good things to say about Keanu Reeves. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory on Keanu Reeves because his uh, life has sort of had a large element of tragedy to it. As a child, his dad was a quite neglectful drug addict, and <coughs> Reeves also suffered from dyslexia. When he got older and he was a he was an actor, he'd already been in Bill and Ted. His uh, dear friend River Phoenix died a very public death outside of uh, the Johnny Depp owned club, The Viper. Uh, he grieved through that; it was very difficult for him. And then later on. With his girlfriend Jennifer Syme or Seam, I can't remember her name. Uh, he had a stillborn baby with her. Mm. Is life even worth? Yes. <laughs> this led to a strain on their relationship that lasted until Seam or Syme died of a car accident at the age of 29. Wow. 
So they didn't break up. Their relationship was effectively yeah. ended because she died. That's tragic. I can't imagine what that's like. Yes. After that, his sister got diagnosed with leukemia. He took role as her caretaker for her 10-year battle with the illness and set up a charity in her honor without attaching his name. Mm. Out of the goodness of his heart, he started this charity. He didn't want it to be, oh, I'm doing this. I'm Keanu Reeves. Like he, he just did that because he wanted to help his sister. Yeah, the, the, the attention isn't on him. It should be on, you know, the actual problem, which is the fact that the there leukemia. is no cure for leukemia. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you get, the, uh, you get the idea here that Keanu Reeves has every reason yes. to not be a good person. <laughs> like, I, he's a <coughs> seemingly tortured and tragic being. Or not even a person who, like, leaves his house. Exactly. This this would send me into a spiraling depression. Yeah. <laughs> like 100%. But uh, here are just a few of the things that he's done to show that he is, in fact, a good person who doesn't want these things and doesn't want these feelings to be spread to anyone else. He used to buy lunch for the crew members on set every day. A crew member on the set of uh, Chain Reaction said this. Back in the late 90s and fresh out of college, I got my first job as an assistant prop designer on the set of Chain Reaction. Keanu was a supporting actor with Morgan Freeman. Every day for the last few weeks of filming, Keanu treated the stagehands and grunt workers, including myself, by taking us out for free breakfast and lunch. He was genuinely a very nice guy to work with. Since then, I've worked on about 30 different sets and I've never met an actor as generous and friendly as him. What a stand-up what guy. A guy. Yeah. What like, a guy, you know? Like, to, 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 to look at, like, I, I want to, like, talk <coughs> about this and, like, uh, the significance of what he really did. So, like, being on set, being a, a supporting actor, he, he's not the big dog. He's, he's not, not like, the star. Yeah, I mean, he had Morgan Freeman. director or anything. And this is um, in the late 90s. Like, he, Keanu Reeves didn't blow up until the first Matrix, which came out in 99, 98. I can't remember which year. But... Like this is uh, assumedly well, he wasn't Bill and Ted the, before then. Oh, really? Which was a pretty big deal. Okay. Yeah, but it was okay. he, he wasn't like a he wasn't known as a serious yeah. serious actor. Yeah. He was because Bill and Ted was largely comedy. Mm-hmm. So this is assuming he doesn't have you know endlessly deep pockets. Like I'm sure yeah, he has a yeah. bit of money. But like to just like look at the, the the class divide on the set of a movie you're working on and be like these people deserve more than what they're getting and just take it upon yourself to do that says two things to me about Keanu Reeves. It says that Keanu Reeves is a person who is aware, and Keanu Reeves is a person who will to take action, which I think are two qualities that kind of encapsulated the Yeah, and the will, this was just a small example of the yeah. willing to take action. Mm-hmm. The big example would be the starting a charity exactly, for leukemia exactly. without yeah. attaching his name to it. Yeah. Uh, let's let's go to the next thing. I'm I'm working my way up here. There's a. That was that was seemingly the smallest of the deeds. <laughs> once we, once he came across a car broken down on the side of the road, he helped the woman call AAA and gave the woman a ride home, which was fifty miles out of the way of the destination he was going to. That means he drove about that far. He dr- drove a lot further than he needed to. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just because this he, he came across this woman and was like, "You need help? I'm gonna help you." You know? Yeah. We need more of that shit. You know? Yeah, like, why don't we have that? Why don't we have that, people? I, I ask you now. Yeah. Then, moving on to The <laughs> Matrix, one of the set builders on The Me- Matrix was having money problems and approaching Christmas was having trouble supporting his family. Keanu gave him a Christmas bonus. Not of $1,000, not of $2,000, but of twenty thousand dollars, twenty racks. Keanu Reeves gave this man twenty G's to support and help his family through the holidays and beyond. Twenty thousand dollars is a privilege for anybody, and if you're on the Matrix, which was in two thousand, twenty thousand back then was a lot more than twenty thousand is now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. Twenty thousand. He's Santa. He's Santa for at least. He's Santa. At least. He's Santa. Like, like, Chris Kringle, great. 
But Keanu Reeves has to get it at least one year. Keanu fucking Reeves, my G's. Like twenty thousand like and, and, and to to give a bonus as a actor on that movie like you're just as much an employee you're as, just as, as much an employee person. and he he called it a christmas bonus yeah. you know it was just him giving him twenty thousand yeah, dollars basically which is remarkable good for him and you know also on the matrix or the second matrix movie mm-hmm. he bought everyone on the special effects crew harley davidson motorcycles this dude was just blowing money. Yeah, like, what is he like? Does he? Li- how does he live? Like, does he just like? He makes that much money, you know. He's Keanu Reeves. He can do what he like, wants. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <coughs> I found this last story on Twitter. Okay. He, uh, it was, it was a tweet that said, uh, "Once Keanu Reeves came to my movie theater to see a movie of his own, and uh, the kid who was accepting tickets recognized him." Gave him his receipt back and asked him to sign it, because not that's not something they usually do at a movie theater. Yeah, he wanted Keanu Reeves' autograph. Yeah, he was like, "Oh no, it's okay. I don't need to sign it." Uh-huh. Which is a natural response. You never sign anything when you go to a movie theater, right? Yeah, exactly. So, the kid's a little disappointed mm-hmm. when Keanu he hears a knock on the door. He answers it and it's Keanu Reeves, ice cream cone in hand, <laughs> and he hands him a receipt and says, "I realized." That you were asking me for my autograph, not for me to sign the receipt. So he hands him the receipt for this ice cream, and as he's walking away, drops the ice cream cone in the trash can because he didn't even want the ice cream cone. He just wanted to be able to give that kid his autograph. Holy crap! I just think that's so cool. That that I mean, is, that yeah. That's just a nice. That's a nice thing, you know. Like it's it's something mm-hmm. he didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. All these things. There's stuff he didn't have to do. There's stuff that didn't necessarily need to yeah. be done, mm-hmm. but he did them out of the kindness of his heart. And despite his own tragedy, <clears throat> he's found a way to treat people with respect mm-hmm. and the <clears throat> kindness that any human deserves. Exactly. And I, like, it, it's crazy to me hearing stories about li- or stories like this where someone just goes through the most deep, dark, depressing shit that would crush any normal person. But still manages to be in an extravagantly bright light in this world that, yeah. that isn't dulled by these. But rather, it seems like they use these things to motivate their actions that much more. Which is, I don't know. Like we we have this conversation about what it means to be a good person, and don't look no further. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but like it, going back to like what we were talking about even last episode, the way that like Mac Miller. Mm-hmm. Had all these stories about him where like no nobody yeah. had a problem with Mac Miller, yeah. even though he he struggled with addiction and depression exactly. and all this all, all these things. Mm-hmm. It's finding the goodness in your heart, and being able to portray it to all these people, yeah. and show them that they matter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. everyone matters. And it's also a point of significance that the fact that neither of us, and I'm sure most people, don't know this this information about Keanu Reeves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not like I, I had I had to go find all this information. Yeah. Like I I was genuinely just curious to see some good deeds that celebrities yeah. have done and coincidentally Keanu Reeves has done a lot of really yeah. good shit. Exactly. And it's it, that that shows you that he's not necessarily concerned with uh, his reputation. Uh, no, he just wants he this. just he's, wants to do these things. These are genuine genuine human things that he's doing and they're good human things. So, so mad respect to Keanu Reeves. We uh, we re- we really we really appreciate you here on the Penny Bloom podcast. Penny Bloom stands Keanu Reeves. Indeed. Next segment. Best concert experiences. Tavares. Well, as I'm sure you all know, uh, concerts are an experience that just can't be quite matched. Not at all. Anywhere I else. love me a good concert. Concerts provide an atmosphere that that it, it, it's quite literally the the. the what a party is meant to be, you know? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's music, it's dancing, it's... it's Camaraderie. Nice. The sense, Com- like, you know yes. how, like, when when you're in a room filled with people mm-hmm. that love the same thing you do. Yeah, and it, it, that love just bubbles up and 
We all we're all dancing together. I've never I, I I've never talked to more strangers than I do oh at a concert. Oh my god! Yes, you know? they're I'm, like, oh my I'm god, never... don't you love this song? I'm like, I don't know you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. you, but yes, I absolutely do. <laughs> Let's be friends for now, and like it, it happens, and nobody questions it. it it's amazing. Uh, if you haven't been to a concert, go. Doesn't even matter who you go see. Just go. Like, go, okay. go. But we're here to talk about go. <laughs> we're here to talk about our favorite our best concert experiences now um i don't have quite as as extensive a list as uh, my buddy koro over here does with uh, i've seen concerts. 11 concerts my first one was high school musical <laughs> I see, i'm sure that was riveting that was just like you're like just zach efron wasn't there i'm unimpressed crazy. they're they're smoking like in the in the venue oh dude Hot boxed, oh, hot boxed the arena. Yo, did Corbin Blue take a hit too? Oh, you know it. Oh shit, I would have paid to see that. Okay. Disclaimer: Corbin Blue did no such thing, and High School Musical was not hot boxed by any weed. <laughs> okay, but starting off on uh, my concert, so I've I've been to what like five concerts. First, we have a uh, Tyler the Creator with Vince Staples uh, on the little one-off tour that they did uh, early 2017, I believe. 2018. Uh, 20 was it 2018? 2018. Wow, 2018. We're a year and a half removed. Um, okay, and then I went to the Drake and Migos concert as well. Uh, that was a really cool one. Uh, Brockhampton, J. Cole with Earth Gang and the Young Thug, and Earl Sweatshirt with Liv and Baby Mother. Uh, mm. So the, the, these, it's a good stock of concerts. Uh, just off tops, um, I have to give the worst one to my boy Earl, but not because of Earl, because of the Granada. Like I, I I'm not, I'm not gonna be honest. I hate the Granada. Like, you know, I, it's I, uh, I actually, I actually like the Granada. Really, I like the Granada because of its tight, compact mm-hmm. area, and I think, uh, I think it really depends on the artist that's there, yeah. whether or not you'll love yeah. your experience mm-hmm. there. Because uh, I I went to a concert at the Granada, and I've been in a couple of venues that are very similar, very similar to the mm-hmm. Granada. And if you have the right artists there, it doesn't even matter how good they are per se. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have an artist who's more of a party, yeah, party artist, you'll like the Granada. Okay, so that that then that's my problem because like it seemed like while we were there, people were trying to like mosh and go crazy. But I'm at an Earl Sweatshirt concert. It's not like, yeah, it's not the you time. Don't, you don't mosh to Earl Sweatshirt. Like, no, you do what not. Do and it just really just made me upset with like people, and I didn't want to be around people, and I just wanted to leave, and like it it, it was not a great experience. Earl, I love the fuck out of you, but like you and he had a great performance, like great performer, but the, the being in the crowd was not fun. Anyways, my top three, though, go as follows. My top one being Tyler, the Creator with Vince Staples. Tyler, the Creator, you are the number one performer I've ever seen. You are God. You are, essentially. Uh, following that, we have J. Cole with Earth Gang and Young Thug. Young Thug, you were rough, but J. Cole and Earth Gang killed that they killed. shit. Like, and killed that don't shit. forget to mention that Jaden Smith was also on this tour. He, yes, he was. But the day that we went... Jada Pinkett Smith decided to have her birthday. Oh, so now Jaden can't show up to uh, perform to a show that I paid money to uh, go see. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be Just a kidding. Bitch you know, yeah, you love your mama. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd miss too. Like, I really wish she was there. Oh, yeah. And my third favorite was the Brockhampton concert. My list, coincidentally, is the exact same. Yeah. Brockhampton. Uh, there's a minor change in it, though, right? Minor change. I just switched J. Cole and Tyler. I love. The reason is that J. Cole's my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I just I just loved being able to see him yeah, perform yeah, right I did there. Too. Like, and he didn't even do much on stage. He did, he do, like, and he doesn't. But that's was, what's beautiful. I was so about entertained him. and like I was so enthralled yes. in his performance because it was like he was speaking a lecture at us that uh-huh. we were all really excited to listen to. Yes, yes, you don't get. I mean, obviously, you don't get a lot of lectures that everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." <laughs> but like, but like this felt like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. My Beats pill just shut off. That's what that noise was. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Uh, you want to go over your concerts? Okay, so yeah, I went to uh, I went to uh, G Easy, who was opened by Mark E Basie and ASAP Ferg. ASAP Ferg brought out ASAP Rocky, and that was the best part of the entire evening, including G Easy. Um, <laughs> the second one I went to was a uh, Mike Stud with Futuristic and Devon Terrell. Back when I was into Mike Stud, Futuristic and Devon Terrell. Um, that was the one I saw at Granada, and Mike Studd's kind of famous for those types of shows, the small venues, big party things, yeah. so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like it would be fun. Um, the third one I went to was Chance the Rapper, 
who puts on a freaking production. Uh, but I was on, I was on crutches, so it brought down my concert experience. That's why it's not <laughs> in my top three. Uh, Logic with B- Big Lembo and Joey Badass. Joey Badass is if I had a concert entirely dedicated to him, I would definitely go to it because he's a better performer than Logic was. But Logic had all the production uh, that you yeah. needed for the yeah. headlining performer. Then, along with Tab, my tops were uh, Tyler, the Creator, J. Cole, and uh, Brockhampton. But I've also, I also went and saw Sam Smith in Nashville. And this is interesting because I was with a friend. I won't say his name. But I was with a friend who was uh, slightly intoxicated off of the alcohols. And uh, we left one song in. We left one song into this concert. Granted, he did go into technical difficulty, so we waited about 10 minutes after his first song. And then on our way out, we heard him start again. And and my friend was just kind of like, nope, we're not going to back. Let's go to White Castle. So we went to White Castle. White Castle instead of Sam Smith? You know, I have a good story. I have a good story. I don't love Sam Smith. I don't love Sam Smith. I just went to go. I went so I could say I saw Sam Smith in Nashville, you know? Mm -hmm. But like. Now I even have a better story, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, then I saw Drake and Migos. Uh, and in Columbia, at the Blue Note, great venue, I saw uh, Charlotte Lawrence, who opened for Lauf, which those are a couple of pop artists who put on a really great show. Shout out to Joanne. She went and saw that with me. But yeah, like with a... What did you love about the uh, J. Cole concert in particular? All right, yeah, so let's get into these uh, to these top three. So we have three specific criteria for evaluation. Uh, first, we have quality of the openers, the venue size, acoustics, fan concentration, sightline, all that good stuff, the logistics, the quality of crowd, the impact of the main performance, and the overall show experience. Uh, so looking at our, our top three, the, the, they are the same, but with a one slight change. Uh, the, the reason, though, that I don't place J. Cole over Tyler, I love that J. Cole concert. Like, I, you, you were there, right? You were there right next to me. Like, I knew every word to every song. Like, I oh, was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, like, it was a lot of fun. It was so... And we had really good seats. Like, we did, being, but we weren't as in it as we were at the Tyler concert. Yeah, no. And so, Tyler does this thing when he performs where he, he really, like... I, I, he... he but he becomes the theme. He becomes the theme of the album, and then he just he had like, like that jungle set, and he had yeah. the cheetah print hair. Uh-huh. That that was so tough. Yeah, and he was just kind of like going song by song. So toy. Like it was like I don't know, like an experience that I, I I just really wasn't ready for. And this was the first concert I'd ever been to, like in my life. Yeah. And also, in addition to that, to be started off with what Vince Staples did. Vince Staples, hands down, the best opener I've ever seen. Like, that, that man yeah. could have carried the show with his opener. I could have Dude, left and been I mean, satisfied after it was, his opening set. It was so cool because it was the only concert I've ever been to where everyone just kind of stood there. Yeah. Nobody really danced. I mean, there was, there was obviously yeah. the minor dancing, but there wasn't the moshing. There wasn't anything mm-hmm. like that. Everyone was just listening to what Vince Staples was saying. Yeah. It was so enthralling, and it was a lot like J. Cole. It was. And he, but he had like this big stage effect, and it was, we were tighter, compact, Mm -hmm. more compact venue, so we were more in it, so it was a little Mm -hmm. more exciting, Mm -hmm. and... So he had these these screens that, that lined up across the entire back of the stage, but they were split off into these small, like, uh, squares or rectangles, and they would... All they would rotate and they would they would twist and turn and show different images and create new ones while like halfway through showing the the, the last one and it was like it was the most visually stunning experience like I've ever witnessed in person. It, Absolutely, it was. It, I just like I, there was there were times where I would just like not realize that I was caught just like kind of like staring at the stage like not like vibing to the music or anything just, I was just, just like oh my because the screens were all playing different things and yeah. they, they were synced together <laughs> so that you knew what was going on yeah. like it was it was amazing yeah it was crazy but that that doesn't take away from what J. Cole did though J. Cole had a, a, a much bigger task at hand it's his KOD KOD tour Sprint Center Sprint Center packed out like it was it was 20,000 seat venue I felt know? I felt like close to the people in the sprint center which is not something that's that not something that happens happens especially in the sprint center because i'll say for one when i went to go see drake at the sprint center 
it, it I don't know. It just felt like a Drake concert. Like I was. I, I like. What's funny actually is I thought uh, when I went to the Drake concert, I was thinking it was one of the best concerts I'd been to because Drake had such control over the crowd. Oh yeah. Do you remember when everyone in the arena was singing "Fake Love" oh, and yeah. he didn't yeah. say a word on the mic? Yeah. It, the, it was that silent was cool. except cool. for everybody in the arena screaming "Fake Love," mm-hmm. and it was a lot of fun. But with J. Cole, everyone went silent and listened mm-hmm. to him, and that's almost. That, I mean, that's easily more control over a oh, crowd yeah. than what Drake was doing. Yeah. My favorite part of that concert was when he goes, uh, he was like, one thing about the men that's controlling the pen, that write history, they always seem to write out their sins. And oh, I remember we were all so silent that I heard a girl sections over go, oh, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, mm, tell him. I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay. And yeah. we all, and I heard laughing. I was like, that doesn't happen at a Sprint Center concert. No, it, it really doesn't. And, like, that, the ability to just, like, entrance everyone in this kind of communal, like, thing, it, it it speaks to how powerful concerts are and, like, why they're so important to go to and to really experience. Because they're just, they're, they're crazy. And that's that's actually similar to how Brockhampton was. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Brockhampton. Brockhampton was, like, a... It was an experience in its own right it because was. it was... We it had, was at a, It was at the same venue as Tyler. Uh-huh. But uh, we had that's great, Arvis, we had a great spot. We did. We had a really good spot for that. We were close to the stage, but not not like super close. Yeah. We were in the middle of the action. It was mm-hmm. a lot of it was a lot of fun. And what's cool is what's cool about Brockhampton is they really have created a stand following. Yeah. That like you know if you are at a Brockhampton concert, everyone there fucking loves Brockhampton. Oh yeah. That is why they are there. There was that one girl when um, what song was it? It was the uh. Uh, where where the cash at? When where oh, the yeah. cash? She was at like, "This is on, the only reason." She I'm literally m- shoves me out of the way and then apologizes immediately after and says, "I'm sorry, but this is my song." And I said, "I can't you, blame you, you. You got this. This is all you." <laughs> Go and, off, you know, sis. I thought she was about to propel herself off of the, the off of the ledge. Like she was like pulling on the railing so hard, like she was into it. And that's what Brockhampton does. Like when when your guy from Brockhampton goes off. You, you go it. off with them. You like, go off. You I go remember because they opened with weight, didn't they? Yes, they. They did. opened with weight because Kevin yeah. Abstract walked out on the stage alone. He was like, mm-hmm. and he he started spitting the opening lines, and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, oh yeah. And then the uh, the beat dropped, and all of them like ran on stage, mm-hmm. jumping and stuff, dude. Mm-hmm. That was so exciting. I didn't, I didn't understand the the impact of uh, uh or like the influence that like acid had on their creation of this album until i saw I the either. concert and their visuals the visuals that were behind them the yeah, whole time because yes. they were like it was clearly meant to to mimic that and it was like this really trippy almost roller coaster ride that they that the visuals were that was really ridiculous and it, it, it created like just uh i don't know the the feeling of Brockhampton like yeah that's what it, it felt like at the show and like each one of them was on stage doing their thing and like it was all around like it was, was sad, literally so iridescent. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like was the, super... the album was called Iridescence, mm-hmm. and the performance itself was iridescent. Yeah, and from what from what they said, like apparently, like they, they finally understood what they were doing while they were touring, like with that album. Like, yep. they were like, "This is what touring should look like. This is what performing should look like." And like, it, it was really cool to get to see that in action. Yeah, all in all, it was one of my favorite. Like, like I said, it was one mm-hmm. of my favorite performances I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and. uh I think uh, the people who really shined in that performance were Kevin, uh, Joba. Joba. Joba definitely. went crazy Joba there. Did. And uh, I think uh, it was actually the first time I was really, really drawn towards Merlin. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'd always Merlin's a funny guy. Merlin's funny as <laughs> shit. And he, like, just his energy on the stage, uh-huh. it was it was infectious, you know? Like, he had a lot of fun. He made everyone else have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joba, just, he's a personality all on his Joba own. Joba is a personality. <laughs> but he... He went crazy there. Oh, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, that that was a really good concert. I'm, I was satisfied with Brockhampton. Kevin Abstract actually walked like two feet in front of me in line while we were waiting to go in. Like, it was kind of ridiculous. Like, he he's a really short guy, so he looks so average. But like, I saw him walk, and then I, I like walked past, and then I just kind of like wait a second, like looked away, and then I was like, wait, was that? And then I that, looked back, and I'm like, that was that was Kevin, Kevin Abstract. Abstract. <laughs> he just like was within like hand distance. <laughs> I should I should no I shouldn't have touched him. 
Nah, yeah, they don't like that. That'd be weird. Though. Yeah, they don't. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how you doing, buddy? I just like, I just wanted to touch you, you know? That's not weird at it's all. It's just something I like. I'm just, I'm just into it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know. <laughs> so all in all, if you can get to any concert, yes. do it. Go to any, a concert. And, like, and, and there's, no, there's no better way to spend your money than on an experience like that. Honestly, It's yeah. so much better than any material you can buy. Mm. I've, I've created countless memories at concerts, a lot with Tab oh, here. Yeah. And it was a lot, just my favorite experience easily. I've gone with my dad. I've gone with mm-hmm. several friends. It's just so much fun. Oh, yeah. And if you can afford to go to any concert, absolutely blow the bank on that concert. Absolutely. And you, there are concerts that are like... Ten, twelve dollars. Yeah, and that like, like, I remember uh, Smino came to Columbia, mm-hmm. and his tickets were five bucks. Wait, Smino, 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 Smino. Yep, five bucks. But uh, wow. so yeah, you know what? Go to a concert, live your life. It's live fun life. as fuck. You can't live if you haven't gone to a concert. I'm just gonna be honest. Next segment. <laughs> Obscure artist, Loyal Kerner. We trying to put y'all on, all right, guys? We are. We are. And uh, Loyal Kerner is a really interesting artist. He's young. He's out of uh, South London. And I know a lot of y'all ain't fucking with, like, gigs and Skepta and shit like that. He is not this, all right? No. They, they go hard on these... They go hard at these beats. They really... They're grimy... You know, mm-hmm. they they really are like they they they're just like, they, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's I'm I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of it's it. It's gritty. It, it doesn't always sound like it flows like Batman. in a logical way. Da 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 da. <laughs> I've totally forgot about that. Yo, I can't tell you how hard I laughed the first time I heard that you song. Said, Batman, da 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 da. No, but the, and there's context around that. That's oh, also much worse. That oh like, yeah, it makes just it worse. makes it bad. Like Jesus Christ, I was like, what are you all doing over there? Point is, Loyal Carner <laughs> is not that. Okay, Loyal Carner is much more laid back. He's uh, I'd call him I call him cloud rap. That's kind of something Cloud, that's, that's right. on its, it, it, like, it's that? like you're just wavy like like oh. like you like like what you would feel like that laying on like a cloud. That sounds like a name for a playlist. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Name I mean, any playlist cloud rap that you just want to like lay down to. Oh yeah, no, I, I need to do. That. I'm gonna work on that tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll put one together and we'll tweet it out. Oh, How's yeah. that? How about, how about How's that? How's that? Cloud about rap. That? We'll do that for you. All right. But uh, point is, Loyal Carner is a great talent that is criminally underrated mostly because his artistry is limited to London not a lot of people know him outside of there uh, luckily enough I was uh, listening to Macy Williams podcast really shit Macy Williams uh, is Arya Stark on Game of Thrones and uh, I can't remember the name of it look up will you look up uh, Macy Williams at the top there yeah sure I think it's Dreaming Big Thinking Big. Thinking Big Big with Macy Williams. That's the podcast that I listened to. And uh, she had Loyal Carner on as one of her guests. She said that she'd been like a really big fan of him for a couple years, so it was really exciting to finally get to meet him. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they discussed was his album Not Waving But Drowning. And uh, let me give you a little backstory here on uh, Loyal. His uh, real name is Benjamin Gerard Coyle Larner. And uh, his stage name, Loyal Carner, is a reference to his childhood struggles with ADHD and dyslexia. So he changed Coyle Larner, his actual name, to mm-hmm. Loyal Carner, which I think is that's pretty kinda, cool. That's kind of tight. Yeah, it's pretty dope. He was uh, raised in South London by his mother, Jean, and his stepfather, Nick. He uh, sadly was left with minimal contact with his birth father. Mm. Uh, Nick, however was a huge influence on him in pursuing his music. He was a, Nick was a poet, and he died in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of Loyal's favorite poems that Nick ever wrote was about uh, appearing fine, putting on a smile, putting on a brave face, quote-unquote, yeah. for, for the feelings that you have on the inside, these yeah. dark tragic feelings just a a sadness and that's what 
he that's what Nick put as not waving but drowning mm-hmm. and to give anyone an, a visual if you don't understand uh, think about what it looks like when someone is drowning and waving their hands <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like and then someone at, at sea at uh, shore is gonna be like oh hi <laughs> hello hey, how you doing <laughs> <laughs> but the point is it's not always that waving yeah it's not always yeah. that waving no, much that's... like what uh what i was talking about earlier with mac miller again mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's perfect it, and bojack and, and bojack it's this it's literally that yeah yeah no and i really like the 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 what, what i don't know what you call it like the symbolism or the imagery i guess of uh this this not not waving but drowning sort of thing where it's kind of because because i don't know even like the idea that that of water has a, or the symbolism of water has you a feel lot that of meaning yeah you feel that like uh you feel a relax and a like a i don't know mm-hmm. like when you listen to it, it 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 gives me the same feeling as i get when i hear the title you know mm-hmm. yeah. like not waving but drowning it feels laid back even though it it mm-hmm. isn't like that's a pretty aggressive title yeah to be drowning is automatically yeah. a very aggressive act. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And like, uh, it, it, it from the from the offset, like from the start of it, it gives you like a, a real clear and quick I- idea of what exactly you're getting yourself into. Exactly. His uh, the the first track is "Dear Jean," and if you recall, Jean was the name of his mother, and it's the entire song is just an ode to his mom mm-hmm. about how good she did in raising him, about how much she loves him. And uh, it's really, really beautiful. Personally, probably my favorite track on it. It's yeah. really laid back, very piano based, and I love a British accent. So hearing hearing him talk laid back over this beat, it's so so good. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and it's one of the. It's like I said earlier. He's very vulnerable, very open, very confessional, almost. Mm-hmm. Like he talks a lot about stuff that's happened to him and stuff that he's done, and it's a lot like what we were talking about earlier today about how if you can paint me a picture with your words mm-hmm. about what you've been through and where you want to go, yeah, who you want to be, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna listen because it's yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. And like I'm endlessly interested in like hearing about these like journeys of life because like honestly, like that that's generally like this is speaking to just like a, a very big general idea of music but like that's what i feel like it's it's there for you know what i absolutely. mean absolutely like, it's it's an outlet yeah, it's an outlet it's an to outlet. express yourself to mm-hmm. escape mm-hmm. to and uh, on one hand it's it's the artist to the to the to the art specifically you know giving that having that outlet but then it's the but, listener it's the link from the listener to the art and how like they are able to to perceive and therefore a link from the listener to the artist yeah exactly that, yeah. that's a the, the fundamental way of breaking down musicianship and in, uh, in artistry in general uh and uh, the way to maximize that and the way to truly do it correctly or uh, like you know that that's a strong term to use like there is no correct way to, to do art of course but like the way to make it impactful i guess is to to make that link as clear as possible and like listening to this album you understand it right off top we were just listening to it and like you can feel the emotion in in his voice. Yeah, he uh, he really does rap with that, with that passion. Like mm-hmm. you can hear hear what he's feeling when he's talking about it. Like mm-hmm. what he must have been feeling when he wrote it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few other tracks that were really standouts. Uh, I had uh, Ice Water, uh, Loose Ends featuring Georgia Smith. Georgia Smith, who has earned girl. a My who has girl. earned a s- serious amount of American fame over here. Oh yeah, uh, still. And Desolée, featuring Sampha. And it, if you are unfamiliar with Sampha, please acquaint yourself immediately. Sampha. Uh, no one knows me like a piano. Still my favorite. Oh, still man. my favorite. Yeah, you just made me have to listen to that album. Like no I, one now, like, knows I just me get, like the piano. Yo, this man's voice, I'm telling you, isn't. It's not heavenly. It's it, it is heavenly. It's it's it, straight. It's straight up f- directly from an angel's mouth. Yes, like he is. The living and angel's of an angel. voice box <laughs> in Sampa's throat. Yeah, basically, okay. Basically, God, so good. what? What a singer! <laughs> but this is about Loyal Carter. Yes, not waving but drowning. Ten out of ten album for me. Uh, we were 
couple days ago when we were talking about 2019 albums. Uh, I I regret not mentioning this. <laughs> I was I was thinking about it going in and I didn't end up doing it, but it it is a top release for me so far this year, like one mm-hmm. of them. And you need to acquaint yourself with Loyal Carner as soon as possible because you, you, this man is good. You really just need to give a British like music yeah. rap a chance. Yeah, like, because I, like I, I get Jay Prince, Jay Prince, right? Yeah, That's his name. Yeah, but like I get not being into like that Skepta and like that gigs type thing that Drake has got going on. Like that he's trying grimy. to put the, the UK on or whatever, but like. That don't think that that's all that they got going on over Kissing there. They do have artists like Jay Prince who are really out here doing this because Jay Prince is one of those people who is a severely, severely, severely like the conversation we had earlier. He's yeah. in there with Saba, yeah, Wale. Exactly. I put Loyal Carner in there too because this guy is so underrated. Mm-hmm. It's limited to a different country, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> but they are truly, truly talented artists. And with a uh, Jay Prince, was his uh, first album called Late Summers? No, that was actually. I don't even think that was his first album. He had an album before that. He had been making music since at least 2015. I remember, like, oh damn, looking, yeah. So like, the, but the, late summers. Late, that was late what acquainted though, me with album, uh, Jay Prince. Yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite albums, like, in a really long time. And he, uh, one song specifically that still comes on in rotation on almost every single one of my playlists is "Believe in You." Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Ooh, that one's good. That's that a good song, good. dude. Jay Prince is that guy. Jay Prince. Bottom line, familiar, familiarize yourself with Loyal Carner. Not waving, but drowning. Drowning. Thank Rick and Morty, Season 1, Episode 4, Breakdown. M. Night Shamalians. Now, in case y'all didn't know, Rick and Morty, at least for me, is one of the best cartoons like ever ever like yeah it's it's from a from a not not even looking at a com just at a comedy perspective which is already like their sense of humor i just find incredibly compelling but oh for sure the story structure of justin roiland um and uh shoot i can't remember the other guy's name i can't either Uh, but but the 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 writers like they do a really good job about each episode having a, a very set pattern that the story follows that's always interesting and it never feels incredibly repetitive. Yeah, which there's, is something, there's always levels to the shit, Yeah, too. there's always levels to the shit and there's always some twist or some turn and it, it, it's such intelligent writing. Like, I'm not going to be out here and be like, oh, Rick and Morty's the smartest show out or anything. But no, like, but like it's... They, they do some very intelligent things. It's very or, innovative, too. Yeah, and you like wouldn't expect it. You don't see a lot of cartoons like Rick and Morty no, anywhere. Don't, don't. I don't think I've seen any. For those that uh, do not know, Adult Swim just confirmed that Rick and Morty Season 4 will be coming out in November of 2019. They did, and uh, this is all following the news that Rick and Morty had been confirmed after Season 3 for uh, 70 more episodes guaranteed. 70, which will officially put the show over the 100 episode mark once they mm-hmm. finish that. Yeah. But uh, to be confirmed for another 70 is crazy because usually it's a season at a time. It's yeah. 10 to 14 at a time that yeah. an, a, any show is confirmed for. Mm-hmm. To be cur- confirmed for 70 yeah. is absurd and clearly you're doing something mm-hmm. right. And it, it lets them do what they do best, which is like to do this like really long-term big picture thinking mm-hmm. that like I, I can't imagine what like the, the last season they do will be or like the last season what they plan to do how crazy it'll be because like you know that they're gonna have something oh they got bad. something you they know it. Something. you know it and like the fact that they got confirmed for 70 is big because that video we watched earlier they said mm-hmm. like it it gives them an opportunity to work on more more quickly more yep. advanced yep. more ahead of time so that yep. we don't have to wait as long in between seasons because yeah. Yeah. I caught up with it after season 3 uh-huh. so I haven't really had to wait too terribly long yeah but I understand that the people who did have to wait too terribly long mm-hmm. waited too terribly long. You yes, know what I'm exa- saying? Exactly. Yeah. And like, it, it, it's going to be really nice to get Rick and Morty on a recurrent schedule. Mm. Uh, but let, let, let's get into this episode that we just uh, had the pleasure of watching. Yeah. So we're, what we're going to do from here on out, we're going to do a little segment where we break down one episode of a TV show. We're going to dive into it. Can be deep, can be pretty surface, can be a comedy, it could be anything. But we just thought this would be fun, something not a lot of people do, yeah. or nobody does, really, that I know of. And it's original, so 
We're going to try it. Like I said earlier, Season 1, Episode 4 Breakdown, M. Night Shyamalan's. What was your perception? Did you like it? Dude, I fucking love yeah, it. It's hilarious. A, this is a crazy episode, and uh, you can't really, like recreate that first viewing experience for oh, an not episode at all. like this. Did you did you expect what happened to happen? Oh no, not at all. I mean the the what's kind of stupid but funny is that oh. there were so many different twists and turns. Yeah. Like uh the way the aliens were like, ha, we had the formula for dark concentrated or concentrated dark matter the whole time. Uh-huh. And then he was like, oh no, well then I have to figure out a way to get out of here. Uh-huh. And then they were like just kidding. We never had the formula for dark con- yeah. for concentrated uh-huh. dark matter. And then they did it again. <laughs> so for, for a little grounding on this episode, the premise of it is that there are these aliens that have, abduct- have abducted Rick and they're trying to get this uh, recipe for concentrated dark matter out of him. He's the smartest being in the universe. He's the only one who knows. Uh, so they put him in a simulation inside of a simulation inside, inside of, of a, a simulation another giant simulation so the, the, the episode is basically a mind fuck and yeah watching it for the first time they don't reveal to you what's happening and they, they reveal it to you what's happening as, as Rick as Rick and is as, figuring it yeah, out as, as well Rick, as it happens to Rick and the, the show basically terminates in Rick uh, finding his way out and just being the smartest person they like were like, the how's it feel? How's it feel, Rick? And he was like, uh, whatever, because uh-huh. he was going to kill them bitches. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. The episode starts with Rick being very critical of whether or not Morty is a real person or uh-huh. a bot. This comes into play very much so later. Oh, yeah. The fact that he is very, he performs a lot like a normal human. Yeah. But he's not. We later find out he is part of the simulation. Uh-huh. But he's convincing enough to make him a real person. We then cut to the classroom of Morty, where uh, the simulation tries to convince him to give up the formula for dark for concentrated dark matter. And the way they do it is they try to like, like hype him up, yeah, make yeah. him feel good. So the, the teacher asks, "What's five times nine? And he's not paying attention. Everyone's in the classroom like, "What's five times nine? And then uh, he goes, "Morty, what's five times nine? He goes, "Uh, me, um." Uh, at least 40 and they're like yes Morty it is at least 40 woo and they all hype him up (laughs) and they're like now what's the formula for concentrated dark matter (laughs) and they start just like throwing all of the uh, like the the possible incentives they can the the girl that Morty has a crush on comes up yeah she's like trying to seduce him into telling him and then then the teacher's like yeah that sounds like a pretty good alpha (laughs) (laughs) he's like I'll be your girlfriend if you tell me the recipe and he's just like oh oh, really wow Hmm, that sounds interesting and then Rick breaks in he's like come on Morty you're coming with me and then (laughs) typical Rick fashion typical Rick fashion Uh, we (laughs) he he breaks in he's like Rick come on and then the teacher's trying to yank him away he's like uh-huh. no he's getting a nap if he, and then he's like oh Rick don't let, don't take me uh. then they get to the showers the gym showers and he's like Morty uh, take your clothes off <laughs> getting, getting pressure because uh, the aliens are extremely uncomfortable with nudity at this point Rick is very he knows he is in a simulation mm-hmm. he's, he says take your clothes off Morty Take your clothes off. They won't look at you. <laughs> so he takes his clothes off. And uh, the, the, the aliens react as you would expect them to in the, in the, in the video. Oh, God, no. Yeah, they're just oh, like, oh, fuck. No, human genitalia. Oh, God, dick and balls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's extremely vulgar. I, probably, I won't throw that out again, I promise. Uh, but... Uh, following this, they uh, they they begin arguing. Uh, after what, what happened was what, 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 what the aliens. Happened? Yeah, they were arguing because they were like, uh, they were like, why would you let them get to the showers? What oh, can we do? Yeah. Well, it was also because they found Jerry. Oh yeah, yeah. They found Jerry was in the simulation. So Jerry, who is uh, Rick's daughter's husband. So Rick's son-in-law. Yeah, Rick's son-in-law. Uh, he, somehow this this. This guy, Jerry, found his way into this super advanced uh, simulation and like... And for anyone who doesn't watch Rick and Morty, just know that Jerry is dumb as fuck. Jerry is... He's uh, he's supposed to be your just like typical average Joe dumb dumb. Like that's yeah. that's literally what his character is there yeah. for. 
And his character is kind of tragic, actually. <laughs> no, in he's that, a super tragic character. <laughs> in that, like, he is so... he's He recognizes what he is. He mm-hmm. knows he's dumb. He knows he's not of the smartest people. And mm-hmm. he's really insecure about it. Yeah. And that sucks. It's really <laughs> sad. But it's a lot of fun to make fun of Jerry. So we're going to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the alien bureaucracy type deal, they're like... Uh, they're all arguing. They're yeah. like, well... Uh, simulations was in charge of this and they're like ah oh, we can't do that unless this group does this and this group can't do this unless that group does that so they're all blaming yeah. each other and it was very representative of what for me my immediate thought was like what American government is like yeah, yeah. it's just that like nobody can ever get anything done because everyone's yeah. blaming each other and that's also how just American society is uh-huh. overall no, it, it's very true it's a, it's a real thing and it happens as a result to me it seems like a uh, attaching these specific like titles and labels and like duties to people which are isolated and they don't understand the, the, the complete context of what they're doing so it just causes this miscommunication and it, it, it see this is an example of how like there there is levels to this there shit there is like, levels they, to the, this the writing shit. that you see in this I show I promise it, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't handle situations like in an unrealistic way like obviously it does like fundamentally yeah like fundamentally but... this was a group of aliens talking here <laughs> aliens do exist but that's not important for this yeah it's uh... <laughs> but like it's, it's just like funny seeing like that, we that are out there believe <laughs> all right it's on my shirt that was just really that good is an alien shirt isn't yep it? yep i we didn't even there. realize <laughs> <laughs> okay uh our next point why is Jerry such a fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, I like like we said, he's just a representative of a uh-huh. very average American dumb dumb. Just 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 a couple examples from okay. this. Uh, he uh, throughout this episode, Jerry's storyline is as follows: He's got a pitch. He's got a really big deal. He's working for an ad agency, and they are pitching to a company who sells apples. Uh, his his slogan for this is "Hungry for apples." That's fucking it, all right? Jerry is not good at his job. He's just super fucking dumb, all right? But since it's a simulation, they're like, yes. And he's like, what? They I say got no, it? They say nothing other than yes. I yeah, think. Every, everyone, everyone who's working for this Apple company says nothing but yes. He goes, so, did I get it? Yes. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe I got it. This is the best day of my life. He calls his wife, and in the real life, his wife absolutely despises him for his dumb dumbness because <laughs> his wife is the daughter of Rick. And therefore, she's automatically a little smarter than yeah. than it's, Jerry is. It, it, it's really unclear how they ever got together. That A lot of it, the story says that it's based on the fact <coughs> that they just got pregnant really early, which is probably yeah. true. But that's beside the point. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so later on in the episode, Jerry's storyline progresses he, uh, he calls his wife. He goes, honey, I got the pitch. And she says, come home. He goes, and basically, the sto- the phone call ends with Jerry certain he's going home to make love to his wife. <laughs> he gets home, and she's still frozen there because she's a simulation robot with a phone in her hand from the same phone call. Yeah. And he walks up, <laughs> takes the phone out of her hand, starts kissing her, and I goes, yeah, don't move. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, the, and, and at this point, that's when we typed this. Yeah, uh, they, they, why they is do... Jerry such a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. But following that, they, they it shows them a little later, like under the sheets or whatever, and uh, he, they're doing their thing, and Jerry says, now who's unremarkable? Uh, uh, guess it, what, Jerry? <laughs> still fucking you. Still fucking still you. Still fucking you, Jerry. I don't understand like how he's so like uh, clueless as to what is happening right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now who's unremarkable? Fuck you, Jerry. It's you. Yeah, like he. You want to know? You want to know what happened when he uh, climaxed, if you will? Uh, he said, "Apples." Uh, <laughs> Fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> Fuck you. He, he's like, jeez. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, he he's literally so clueless that like people <laughs> on the street would just like say the same things over, oh and like God. every everybody on the street is just a form. Like there was just like ten mailmen or ten old men. Yeah, like, ten mailmen. There was a dude who walked looking... through a tree. Yeah. There's a, there's a house 
that Pop Tarts live in. The house is just a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's these sorts of things that Jerry doesn't notice, which determines why we're, we are we are calling him the fuck that he is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's get into this Pop Tart situation. Okay. All right. Okay. So Here's a little thought experiment. Rick y'all. Rick poses a question. Well, he's trying to prove to Morty that they're living in a simulation. Mm-hmm. He uh. He's like, really? Does none of this look weird to you? How about this? And Morty's like, that's normal. How about this? That's normal. He goes, all right, what about that? And he points to a giant toaster oven in which Pop-Tarts live. These Pop-Tarts cruise out of this big toaster and a smaller toaster. (laughs) Rick then poses the question, why would a Pop-Tart... Well, Morty poses the question, why would you want to live... And a toaster, if you were a Pop-Tart, that'd be like the most terrifying place to live, yeah. which is very true. Uh-huh. Rick rebuttals with, well, yeah, but not even just that. Why would they drive away in a smaller toaster? Is your car just a smaller version of your house? <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, like, exactly. That yeah. didn't even occur to me. That's just part of the genius writing, the yeah. genius comical writing really that is, is in Rick and Morty. <laughs> like... What, the logical progression of it says that this is something that is impossible, but uh, within the rules of a, of a simulation, which is meant to simulate real life, why would they say that your house is a smaller, your house is just a big version of your car? But isn't it though? I mean, like, no. It doesn't look the same. Yeah, it doesn't look the same. I mean, like, same. if we're getting down to the, but the logistics think, of it. Think about the functionality. Think about. The times that you are um, you are outside and the times uh, yeah, that you were inside. Absolutely, the functionality. What you own, what you don't own. Absolutely, the functionality. You I'm could, there with you, one hundred percent. But it's not it's not just a tiny house on wheels. But you could live in your car. You shouldn't. Wait, but but you could. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> you you live have in power. Your car. You have power. You have the ability to to eat. You could have the ability to store things. Uh, what, what else? What were the quality? You have air conditioning. You have heat. These are qualities of a house that are also shared by a car. So, what is the argument against a house just logically being a smaller ver- or a car being a logically smaller version of your house? simulation overload? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, goddamn, you are absolutely correct, and I my perception is completely changed. Your car it's, is your car it, is just a smaller version it, of your house. It's these sorts of existential questions that Rick and Morty poses, which is which is why it's so important that people watch this show. But also, we would like to pose the question to you: Why would a pop tart want to live in a toaster and then drive away in a toaster? Pros and cons. This reminds me of when uh, Ansel Elgort's character in The Fault in Our Stars says, you put the killing thing right between your teeth, but you don't give it the power to do its killing. And I think this is crucial because even going back to what you were saying, your car is a death trap. Oh, yeah. No, it is. It it automatically is a death trap. You're putting your trust in everybody else to be safe. Yeah, to not just run. I mean, like, you you can have faith in yourself. You can know, like, okay, I think I'm fine. I don't think I'll cruise off the road or drift off or anything. You can't have, like, for some reason, us as humans are like, we're driving. Everyone's doing okay. And, (laughs) like... Basically. (laughs) Like, that's the... Logically, that's not correct. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's weird. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on that one. So, bottom line is, why do we drive at all? Everyone should walk everywhere. Everyone we'd be a healthier everywhere. We'd be a healthier society. And these are the things that Rick and Morty has led us to discuss just by putting Pop-Tarts in a house that is a toaster. It's crazy, right? But it, it, it's real. It's possible. You got to think about these things. You absolutely do. <laughs> and earlier, when I said uh, simulation overload, it was in reference to later in this episode when Rick and Morty decide to put on a concert for the, for oh, the simulation. Yeah. He, uh, he, Rick and Morty take the stage to a small crowd, and uh, Morty, uh, Rick goes, Wow, this isn't a big enough crowd to perform our new song the formula for concentrated dark matter <laughs> and then just thousands of thousands, bots yes. storm that way just because they're like oh my god they're going to perform they're going to they're going to tell us they're going to tell us the formula for dark matter mm-hmm. 
And then he just says, he starts saying all these random ass commands that like overrides the system. Like everybody in a red shirt, jump up and down. Everybody over 30, do this with your finger. <laughs> he, said, he said, take the square root of your age and uh, turn turn in circles that many times or something like <laughs> and that. They, and they all just started glitching out. And then him and Morty run because they're because everything freezes. <laughs> they so they, they run to the, to the edge of the universe or what the, 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 the simulated the universe. The physical conception of the universe was at that specific moment. And this ends up with them in a new simulation. A new simulation. Which we did not realize was a new simulation for a second. Oh, yeah. No, it was crazy. <laughs> and, like, you're just like, wait, oh, no. And then the, the, the aliens just start clowning on him and be like, ha-ha, you you're idiot. You're an idiot. We <laughs> always knew the formula. Now we know the, the code to your safe. Wasn't yeah, that it? Wasn't yeah, that the next they, one? they had gone home and Rick had put in his code to his safe, but it's obviously a simulation, <laughs> so they have omnipresence so that they could see what They could did. see it. They were like, yeah, so, okay. We can get in your safe. Now we know everything Rick knows, you know, mm -hmm. because Rick's the smartest being in the universe. Mm -hmm. And that's very crucial to what these aliens were after. Uh-huh. Again, Jerry came saying apples. Fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> there was a uh, fun little scene when they were running away from the aliens, Rick and Morty, where they just, like, kind of played around in the uh -huh. crystals and, like, the quartz, I think is what they were called. Oh, yeah. And they... They were like, oh my god, it's beautiful. And they just kind of like rolled around and like tickled <laughs> yeah. each other for and a second. Rick goes, it, it, there's, a, there's always a little time for some horseplay every now and then. <laughs> and like, that's just cool, you know? Yeah, like, that's really just is. a cute little moment between a grandpa uh -huh. and a grandson. And like, they didn't need to throw uh, that in there. A huge central question of this show is it like, how does Rick truly feel about Morty? Is he just like a sidekick, a pawn? Is or is he, someone... he his grandson yeah, who, he who he loves? And about? it is pretty central to the, th the mm -hmm. series that. Rick definitely loves Morty. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, that, like, looking at Rick within the context of his intelligence means that, or his intelligence and his philosophy, like, oh, his, yeah. his, nihilis his nihilism, like, you, you have, like, in any situation, he's never going to, like, be like this person who pours out love towards Oh, no, but he shows these little acts yeah. that yeah. you know he He doesn't even him. think love is real. Like, he's made that, he, he's made that argument, but... Uh, and that ties into what will probably be a big conclusion part of the series is Rick finally oh, realizing yeah. what yeah. love let he does mm -hmm. believe in love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's it's these things that we're, we're telling you people like you, you got to catch the little gems, you know. Totes malotes, dog. <laughs> Totes malotes. Uh. <laughs> uh yeah, so Jerry is literally just a fuck. Uh, yeah, I can't yeah. get over it. I it, it, it's it's bad. He's he's like if you want if you think you're insecure, um, and you want to not be insecure, just take a crash course in Jerry real quick. And as long as you're not that, if you're not, you, if you're, you're not, you're if you're not here, if you're not here, second guessing literally every move you do, yes, you have some like you have the slightest bit of confidence. Yes, good for you. Good for you, and and build on that confidence. It, yeah, right? build on that, dude. Uh -huh. Like, just go out in the world and give people the energy that you want to receive back. Give give exactly. give people compliments exactly. and people, they'll compliment you. Find you know, decisiveness attractive. When if you can be like someone who like you, you know what you want and you are confident and your ability to pursue that and achieve it, then you have you have done something that a lot of people find so much trouble with for no reason. And all. obviously, that is much much easier said than done. Obviously, there is an there is an inherent lack of confidence in most people. Yeah. But but something to think about. Something to think it is about. something to think about. Anytime you're feeling a little down on yourself, remember the Penny Bloom podcast wants you to know you are loved. You are loved, yes. And you are appreciated. You are appreciated. Be happy. Because we told you to. <laughs> uh, yeah, aliens fake the moon landing. Uh, Jerry's existence is truly, truly tragic. He, uh, later in this, the end of this episode, he uh, says he was finally complete. By an Apley Award. An award that he didn't know existed five minutes ago that they just literally constructed for him, creating a whole award ceremony. People were there. And during his speech, he breaks down crying, <coughs> saying this is the... He is finally complete. This is the best day of his life. And then the simulation glitches and shuts down. <laughs> and nothing is more sad yeah, than the realization of Jerry being like, Jesus Christ... And la this later on, fake. later on, Rick even says, "So what if the most meaningful day of your life was in, was in a simulation running at minimum capacity?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it was such a sloppy simulation. It really was. It was not good, and like it didn't like 
You literally just needed to like open your eyes to see that wow, these are nothing not human is beings. normal. <laughs> <laughs> but Jerry's such a fuck that he makes it happen, you know. Maybe we need to. Maybe we ought to appreciate that that he's done things that no one else could. He really did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, I would like you to comment on this note you made. <laughs> Aliens are doing experiments on Pop-Tarts and have a machine that instantaneously combines your current form with that of a hot dog. Is there anything more Rick and Morty than that? Is there? Because, like, <laughs> just and like this is just something that's in the background of this show. Like, when they're running away this is from nothing, the guards... Th- I didn't even notice this. That's yeah. why it's... This, this is why I asked yeah. him to point it out. They're running away from the guards when they're trying to escape the simulation, and one of them goes through this, like, laser... This, like, big laser contraption, like, laser beam thing, and he immediately turns into this like uh, being juxtaposed with a hot dog a, a hot dog like a hot dog <laughs> like wh- why one why do aliens have a machine to turn things into hot dogs two why wouldn't they though you know i would turn everything into a, a hot question. dog that's a I wouldn't turn everything into a hot dog but if i was like hungry you know uh-huh. i mean i'm a vegetarian so like not literally but like if is I it? was hungry and I had a machine to turn anything into a hot dog. Uh-huh. I'd fucking turn anything into a hot dog yeah. and I'd eat that shit on sight. I mean, that that's true. Two questions. Do you want a, uh, a completely chemically produced hot dog? No. But if I'm like really hungry, <laughs> Fair we enough. eat things that are Fair injected enough. with yeah. hormones all the we time. Do. Okay, but the second question is being turned into a hot dog a punishment or a reward? It depends on what you're turning into a hot dog. Okay. Okay, that's true. But what, Yeah, no, that's true. When you eat that hot dog, do you then become your normal self? Because you, t- if, if you are being uh, combined with a hot dog, then you are, in essence, eating yourself. That's a valid point. I hadn't thought about that. Is, that, is there a term for that? Eating, eating yourself? yourself? There probably is. I'll Google it right now. That that's honestly I, I don't even know if I want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> What's it called? That just sounds disturbing when you and eat unusual and yourself. And just like unnatural and something that should never ever ever Oh, happen. it's it's pretty simple. Self cannibalism. <laughs> Self cannibalism. So wait, so so if there's a term for this, that means that people have done it. That's horrifying. That is terror. There's that, Bottom line is terrifying. this is real life shit, people. Yes. They had this is. thing turning itself and other things into hot dogs. Therefore, they were making a message about self-cannibalism. <laughs> and Morris. that's the kind of shit you can expect from the Penny Bloom podcast, <laughs> bitches. You see that right there? We just had such a great convo about this. Let's keep going, though. There's more. It's just but a... wait, there's more. Oh, yeah, there's more. Yep. <laughs> it's just the last little note. As Rick is flying away, having had the last laugh, he uh, gave them a fake formula for mm-hmm. concentrated dark matter they which ultimately up. blew up the ship yep and as rick's flying away he can't even express the slightest bit of gratitude for what just happened he literally just sit he, he, he turns on some music pulls out his flask takes a drink and rolls the chair back and just he just sings along to a song yeah. and in a way in a way every single character's existence in the show is something of a tragedy it really is. Rick is just a, just a sad, like, not a sad, but, he is sad, but, <laughs> uh, sadistic, you know, just. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Just uh, nihilistic, like you said earlier, uh-huh. just completely nothing matters, yeah. this is all just a game. Like, the, the existential dread that he, that, that Rick always shows, especially in the face of some, of success, like, he just escaped with his life, killed his captors, like, they didn't get their goal, he got his, he's getting away scot-free, like. You should be like, you know, gleeful. at least a little excited. This Takes a drink, sits back, says, you know, life is life. Thank you for joining us on the Penny Bloom podcast. We're going to end on that note because that was perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm Coro Bloom at C O R O B L O O M. He is Tabba Pen. Tabba Pen. T A B A underscore Pen P E N N. Follow Penny Bloom Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you very much. Come again. Peace, love, and blessings.